with part two, another episode of Melinda Mamas, part two of part one, where we go into all these terms that we use when we're discussing racial tensions and ethnicities and we can better understand diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting because in between recording part one and part two, I had a very interesting experience with my family and I just realized how important this stuff is. Yeah. And understanding how important it is to like, yes, you can have your own experiences. Yes, your experiences are valid, but that doesn't negate or mean that you can say your experience doesn't exist to somebody else. Right. Like, and, and the important thing that making sure that everybody is on the same page as far as what words mean. Um, yes. So like, for example, I was using a, the definition of racism that we explained in our first Mm -hmm. episode. And then uh, I had family members who were only considering racism, overt forms of discrimination. And so that's like uh, making sure that everybody's on the same page when you're talking about these. So then you can understand. um, Because when you you talk to somebody about racism or um, racial inequality, if you're not on the same level of understanding of what these certain words mean, then you're not going to be able to have a constructive conversation. Exactly. And it's, it's interesting too, because I feel like it's a really good barometer for um, like have, if you have a discussion with someone and they get really, really defensive, it, a lot of times it's just, they don't, they don't understand the terms on a deeper level or it makes them uncomfortable because they're like, maybe they've never experienced it. Maybe they've never seen it, or maybe they don't even know what they've seen actually falls under that definition of like covert racism. So, and then it's also kind of sad because reactions like that are a form of covert racism, (laughs) you know, like saying that it doesn't exist is, is saying it's like, (laughs) Like, no, that's actually uh, something you probably don't want to do, but it's fine. And, and I think it's also important to understand these so that you can, like, as a white person, you can better um, combat the white privilege and the white fragility and yeah. um, combat racism because you can now look introspectively and realize, oh, that was a microaggression or that was an unconscious bias or, Ooh, that's Mm -hmm. digital backlist, you know? So you can understand why certain behaviors or thoughts are problematic and then correct them because you can't correct anything if you don't know. Yeah. And I think too, like I had an experience this past week where it was almost making fun of this movement of unlearning and uh, anti-racism and saying that people can't say anything without somebody else getting offended. And I'm like, I don't think it's anything to do with them being offended. I think it's them finally feeling brave enough to say something and make other people, you know, aware of like, this is, these are things that we deal with daily that you don't even have to think about. And therein is your privilege. 
you, Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about, you know, like going into Nordstrom's and no one thinking that I don't belong there. Right. You know, it's, there's just, uh, there's so many examples, but like, it was a meme of like, you know, extreme examples. Like one of them was a drawing of African slaves on a ship being brought over in the 1600s. And then like the civil rights movement and Jim Crow laws and these like depictions of these. And then it was like racism in the tooth that like the, the whatever, what, what century are we in? 21st century? 20? Yeah. 21st. Is like, I'm offended as in like, I was like, that's just, this is not even the same thing. I just was so frustrated by it. I'm like, okay, I can get like why you, it's easier for you to go to like everyone, everybody's just so offended. I can't even say anything anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just keeping you comfortable. It's just keeping you where you want to be, where you feel like you should be instead of looking outside yourself and realizing that you have an opportunity here to grow and to challenge and, yourself. And I think also like if you are comparing uh, today to like slavery, then you need to really check yourself because it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, that like slavery was so deplorable and was so wrong on so many levels that mm-hmm. that should not be like you, you, you can't, I, it's just so inappropriate to say, oh, well, it's not as bad as it was and during slavery. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, no shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'd like to think we've evolved more as a society that like everyone knows that's deplorable now. That's not like breaking news. And like, you should so stop saying something because at least you're not slaves. Is that what you're saying? Like, really? Yeah. Like, it's so bad. And, and it's the same thing with like comparing to like Jim Crow era and the pre-civil rights movement. Like those should not be, that should not be your barometer of acceptable human um, rights. And so, yeah just because things have improved from where they were, they were so bad before. It's like, we still have so much more room to improve. And that's not a valid argument in my opinion, because it's just like, yeah. (laughs) And it's so ironic too, because like this particular family member is a member of the LDS faith whose like hallmark is like, we were persecuted. We're still persecuted. And I'm like, do you hear yourself? Like, do you hear that? Like you, like, like you're, you honor these pioneers because of their struggle. Yeah. Why can't the BIPOC community, I did check it up. It's BIPOC. I did too. It's BIPOC. It's BIPOC. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. You can like, you, you can't do that for your ancestors that you're trying to honor their struggle and their commitment to their faith. And then say the BIPOC community can't do that as well. That right. doesn't add up. Right. So I just like, it's like the whole like beggars can't be choosers, which is so wrong mm-hmm. because then you're saying, oh, so you were like, are like, why can't they have the same rights? Why can't they expect the same decent human decency and respect and, and, um, dignity that a white person gets? Like that just should be a given, you know, there's, yeah, we, we are the same. We are brothers and sisters. Like we are the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, and we, when you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. Just like no one now would like force a religious group out of an area and tar and feather people anymore because we know better and we do better. So let's continue that in this, in this effort of 
anti-racism and actually creating an equitable system for all. I feel like this is not a hard concept, but apparently it is. So that's why we're doing this. Yes. And um, yeah, so let's just dive right in right where we left off. And so the first term, and we, we touched on this a lot when we were describing, especially racism, but it's something that's as greatly misunderstood and that's power. And that's where this like, um, power does not mean that uh, the leader of a country, it does not mean that you have a lot of wealth. It does not mean that you have a lot of influence, power, um, you know, it's, it's uh, the ability to, uh, you have more access and control over resources. Like yeah. you you have as a collective more access to wealth, more access to um, like you have an easier chance uh, getting citizenship or there's patriarchy, um, heterosexism, um, education, wealth, influence. Like those are examples of power. Um, but just because you are a poor white person does not mean that you do not have power. And I want, yeah. I want that to be a, uh, to be clear. Yes. And it's I'm just simply because there's, that's the majority, you know, it's like you are part of a group that is connected to just more resources all across the board. And re- regardless of your financial state, um, you, you know, it's, I don't know if I'm like saying this correctly, but like, it says like, this one, one of the definitions says that the importance of the concept to of power to anti-racism is clear. Racism cannot be understood without understanding that power is not only an individual relationship, but a cultural one. Mm-hmm. It's just our culture to, I mean, I mean, you look at just the presidents of the United States, we've had one person of color be the president and now one female person of color is now the vice president. That, and that's the first time that's happened in what, like 200 and something years. Yeah. So to say that there isn't some kind of system of power based on race is just to like put your head in the sand. And I, I'm and sorry if I'm like coming off as like insensitive to people that maybe aren't fully understanding all of these concepts. Um, I guess I'm just tired. <laughs> like, come well, on, do your I homework. Think- I think there's like one we'll, we'll get into white fragility and I think that that touches on it, but it's like, um, you just, actually, I'll say this when we talk about white, white fragility, but, um, yeah, which is but what I was going to, yeah, what I was going to say about power still is one of the other things is that power, it's a spectrum and it's not, uh, it's all relative. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of things that influence it. And, uh, but it's, it's all about like, um, it, it's almost intangible. Like it's like within uh, interpersonal relationships and, yeah. and society as a whole. Um, but uh, like you see inside the workplace, like the boss obviously has more power than the employees. Oh, yeah. Um, you see it uh, in, with wealth, people who have more money have more power. And then you also see it with race. Um, people 
especially in Western societies in the United States, people who are like the lighter your skin, the more power you have. And, um, and then you also see that amongst, uh, like in the BIPOC community too, the lighter tone of your skin, the more power you have than say someone who has extremely dark skin, you know? So, and that was something that, uh, was illuminated to me in the book cast, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's like skin tone is a spectrum. And if you like a person of color who has fairer skin is going to be treated better than someone who has darker skin. Yeah. And, And that's wrong. Um, obviously, but the, the key here with power is that, uh, it's exactly what you said. You cannot understand racism without understanding that power, um, that power aspect. And that's what makes Mm -hmm. racism different from discrimination and from prejudice. And that it's not, it's not just like, uh, it's not just that you dislike or you have hatred towards another group. It's that you also have that power. It's power. It's hard to define, but you know it when you see it, you know? Yeah. I think that's like the best description that I've had. And 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 like, as far as like, like, so one way that I guess, like, if you're a man, you're not going to like get this, but, um, women in the workplace, like as a woman in the workplace, I have to temper myself a lot to be taken seriously by, you know, a male dominated workforce. And it's that, that is, that is power. When I feel like I have to alter myself to fit into it, like a, and be promoted and accepted. That is the definition of that power that we're talking about where I can't you know, I have to like wear certain clothes. <laughs> I can't say certain things. Um, not to say that that's okay or right in any way, but that I know I have to play a certain game to win. And the game is controlled by white cisgender males. Right. Um, but I guess the biggest way to check where the power is, is, um, and if you have power. So imagine criticizing someone or something. And if you feel like you have the power to vocalize that criticism, then they exert no power over you. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you cannot criticize them or you cannot vocalize any disagreement or displeasure without fear of retribution, then that's, there's a power structure there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right, let's move on to white fragility, which is a big one. Yes. Okay. So this one, it really ties into like what we were talking about in the intro where this, this concept. So, okay. So I'm just going to read the definition first and then we can talk about it, but it's a state in which even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable for white people. Um, triggering a range of defensive modes. These modes include outward, outward displays of emotions such as anger, feel, fear, and guilt, and behaviors such as argumentation, which was like that meme I was talking about, mm-hmm. where it was like slave ships, Jim Crow, all of like these horrible ho- plantations, all of that. And then 
I'm offended. Like, oh my gosh, seriously. Okay. Argumentation, silence, and leaving the stress inducing situation. I would also add in here um, humor, like making these stupid memes to try and be funny and mock a very serious subject. Right. I'm like, there are things that you can joke about. This is not one of them. Um, Okay. So these behaviors in turn function to reinstate the white racial equilibrium. So they're doing it. They're, they're either leaving the conversation entirely or dismissing the conversation entirely um, to try and keep their status quo, their Mm -hmm. status quo. They don't want to rock the boat at all because that means subconsciously they don't know where they're going to end up, you know? Yeah. And, and one of the experiences that I had this past week was um, I felt like when the topic of uh, racism and discrimination and racial inequality was brought up, rather than engaging it in a sensitive manner, um, some of the people that I was talking to decided to use this as an opportunity to be like, oh, let's own the libs, like, oh, burn, like, here's like a really offensive, like, simplification. And it's like, this is not funny. This is not something to joke about. We're not debating tax policy. So like, you can't be like, oh, well, you're just like a socialist. Like, we're not debating, um, like, you know, we're not debating whether or not DC should be a state, you know, like, this is a very serious issue. It is something that uh, as a white person, you can choose whether or not you engage with it. But as a BIPOC person, you cannot choose because you're forced to engage with it all the time. And, and so because of that, like, you're just, it's so insensitive to oversimplify. And it's also an example of white fragility. Like you're taking this opportunity to mock someone's pain and and yeah, I'm like someone's, someone's like Ex- struggle and yeah. ex- like existence, essentially. Like I had a, a experience where I've, I'm part of like a Facebook group that's just like my extended family. So like my mom mm-hmm. and all her brothers and sisters, the my mom's side of the family. And during like it was right after George Floyd and the marches and posted somebody had taken you know they were writing black lives matter on like overpasses and things like that Mm -hmm. and someone had made it put an o in front of lives and made it black olives matter as a and they posted it as a joke and the ironic thing one is is the person that posted this served his lds mission in africa or I'm yeah. just like, I just, and everybody was laughing and da, 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 making all these incre- incredibly insensitive comments. And I was just like, this isn't okay. Why are we posting this? I got so much hate for that. Like it was just, and I'm not saying like that to like toot my own horn or anything because I don't really have a relationship with these people. At, but I feel like if you see it, you need to call it out. Mm-hmm. If you see something, you need to call it out. And um, it's like also uh, exactly like you said, those white fragility is is also manifests itself when whenever some if you're confronted with um race race racial inequality or like black lives matter or um statistics that seem like disturbing you know like if you if your response is 
oh, well, racism is a thing of the past. There's not institutional racism. Like, why, like you're just, you're just bringing up race all the time so that we can uh, divide us. Like we actually need to stop talking about it instead of highlighting our differences. Like those are all examples of white fragility. And, and essentially yeah. it boils down to like, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with this. It's changing the status quo. I like how I, how things are. I like this hierarchy. So I'm going to pretend that this issue doesn't exist. Yeah. I'm going to bury my head in the sand again. Yes, it is just sad, really. I don't know. Like, ugh, okay, we can, I feel like we've covered that. Should we move on? Yeah, let's go to a hate crime, which is, right. um, I just want to do like a little bit of a trigger warning. The next couple of terms are going to be uh, uh, violent, so. Yeah. Okay, so hate crime is extremely serious. And this definition comes from the actual FBI. And this is the federal definition of a hate crime. So hate crime is a traditional offense like murder, arson, or vandalism with an added element of bias. For the purposes of collecting statistics, the FBI has defined a hate crime as a criminal offense against a person or property motivated in whole or in part by an offender's bias against a race, religion, disability, sexual orientation, ethnicity, gender, or gender identity. Hate itself is not a crime, and the FBI is mindful of protecting freedom of speech and other civil liabilities or liberties. So it's when all of this racism, discrimination, uh, prejudice, all of that gets manifest into an actual action. And what makes it unique is that, um, you know, in law, in a court of law, it has to be proved that that violent, that act of violence or um, vandalism was motivated by uh, discrimination or prejudice. Yeah. So like with the, the shootings in Atlanta, like I, I posted a meme that was like, it was both, it was a hate crime in both that it was an act of violence against a race, the, as far as like an Asian community and women. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he had a bad day. And so he decided to go to, to help him overcome his sex addiction, barf, um, he was going to eliminate a temptation of Asian women like yeah. mm, and that and and you're going with that as like the sheriff announcing this you're going that's your statement are you serious like he had I a did, bad day I did see Oof. just as a side note that I be, like I read at least that the sheriff was removed from the case because of yes. his comments yeah. so yeah that's and good. how like insensitive and I don't know when you try and just, yeah, I mean, there's no justification for a statement like that. And in some, to me, it felt like he was almost protecting this clearly disturbed individual. Like, right. Well, we can, we can talk about, so there are two different shootings that happened within the last um, two weeks. Yeah. Which, guns is another topic we can talk about but um yeah so uh two different shootings 
two extremely different situations. One of them appears to be a hate crime. The other one is an act of indiscriminate violence. And so um, they're different and they're going to be treated differently. And the penalties are also different Mm -hmm. because it's like the, the King supers shooting was not targeting a specific, like the victims were not a specific uh, race or gender or age or, or religion. Um, Whereas the Atlanta shooting was obviously not the same. Not the same thing at all. Okay. All right. So hate crime is obviously the precursor to hate speech, which is the next term. Um, And this is not just like you have the freedom to say whatever you want, but it's like public speech that expresses hate or encourages violence towards a person or group based on something such as race, religion, sex, or sexual orientation. So this is just beyond, um, this is just beyond saying horrible things <laughs> or, or yeah, saying but, racist things. Yeah. Like it, it can, and it, it doesn't have to be, this can also, I feel hate speech can go like over, over and covert in these mm-hmm. things where like an inappropriate joke or um, dismissing like, oh, it's not that bad. You know, that, I mean, it ties into white fragility. Like we were saying, this kind of like interweaves through a lot of these topics, mm-hmm. but hate speech is really like, just like Bambi said that like, wait, no, it was Thumper's mom in Bambi mm-hmm. that says, if you don't, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Right. Full stop. You're done. Stop it. Don't, don't, just don't. Yeah. And, um, yeah, don't be mean. <laughs> and it's different than bullying. Like hate speech is different than bullying. Um, and it's, it's kind of one of those things, like, you know, it when you see it. Yeah. Um, like you can't like it. I mean, especially with even things like after nine eleven and like the, I mean, people were genuinely scared, but instead of expressing the fear in like, I'm scared because I don't know what I, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to go to blame. And so they blamed like the entire Muslim community for these hate crimes against the U S right. you know, it's like, and and that resulted in, it's like trading hate for hate. So this happened to us. So we are going to be giant dicks towards you and just right. like discriminate against you and say horrible things against you. When, you know, like some poor Muslim woman at a grocery store is like getting like slurs thrown at her or she's just grocery shopping. I saw that happen in Colorado Springs where I was like, oh my God, she didn't fly a plane into the towers. Like, Right. Why are you mad at her? She's probably not even part of the extreme offshoot that orchestrated those attacks. Like what? Well, and then like you also see it um, with COVID, um, you see a yeah. rise in, in hate speech against Asian Americans. It's like, yeah, they're not at fault for this yeah. just because they appear to look the same. And this is the other problem is... Um, uh, like it, the other problem is that 
a lot of people are lumping in all of the different Asian um, countries into one. It's like um, Koreans are not the same as Chinese or Vietnamese or Japanese or Cambodian or like it's it's all very, uh, very wrong to just lump them all in. (laughs) Yeah, it's like an oversimplification of culture. I'm like, just Mm -hmm. because you assume doesn't mean you're right. You can't loop in like, you know, the Asian countries and like everyone's the same because those, those are, those cultures are incredibly different and beautiful. And it just shows ignorance in my opinion, but I digress. Yeah. All right. So then let's go to lynching, which, um, lynching is the next term and, this was something that we thought, or like a lot of people think ended in um, the, after the civil rights movement, but it's not, it's not true. Like a lynch, lynching can be um, beyond just hanging somebody, but uh, it's to put to death as by hanging or another way by mob action without legal approval or permission. So it's extrajudicial killings. Um, and uh, I believe during the, um, it happened, well, it happened a lot during yeah. Jim Crow in the Jim Crow South. And I would, I would encourage every single person to read and learn about what actually happened. And um, I also want everybody to realize that lynching is uh hold on i'm gonna fact check myself right now um (laughs) before i say this because it's very um inflammatory um well while you are doing that um i don't know if anyone's been to or seen the uh, National Memorial for Justice and Peace. Have you seen photos of that? It's so, uh, I don't know, like, I feel like there are a few national memorials that just kind of capture the feeling of the events, like the uh, 9-11 Memorial in New York City. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I was, I had just graduated high school when that happened and I remember the feelings that I felt on that day and then when I went back to New York City and saw that memorial it was like this is how I felt where it was just like this like constant like I don't know if this is like there was like an emptiness that was like it's never going to be the same again and it just felt like that but the National uh, Memorial for Justice and Peace is the same Mm-hmm. where it's just you walk in and you feel the weight of the emotions and the 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 tragedy and loss and unnecessary violence um it's it's incredibly well done the architecture the meaning behind it how they did all like how they put it all together it's kind of like a maze that you walk through and on each of these so it's like a I don't know if it's concrete or what, but it's suspended. So nothing is on the ground. So it's just these big concrete pylons that have the names of oh, men, I've seen women pictures and men and children. 
yeah, that were unnecessarily and illegally put to death Mm -hmm. just because some people felt like this is a good idea. I don't know. Like, it just doesn't even make sense to me how someone can like justify themselves to take that kind of a violent action on someone. Yeah. So two thoughts. First of all, um, every, every single person needs to see what and learn what was done and what has happened. Um, and the reason why is because if we forget the past, we're bound to repeat it. And so, um, in the book cast, one of the things that the author talks about is how Berlin is absolutely full of memorials and, um, museums and monuments dedicated specifically to the victims of world war ii and um she talks about how that makes some people uncomfortable and it's like if that makes you uncomfortable it's because you haven't learned from it and it's like so you're not responsible like you weren't alive when that happened so you're not responsible but you are responsible to make sure it doesn't happen again and so that's where it's like you need to be constantly um vigilant to make sure that we do not repeat the mistakes of the past. And so mm-hmm. having that constant reminder is really important. Okay, so I found it. Um, so lynching, you would think by now would be classified as a federal hate crime. It is not. It is still what? to this day not. And what happened is um, in June of 2018, uh, this act was passed or it was um, brought forward by Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and Tim Scott. And it was uh, to classify lynching as a federal hate crime. Uh, And it passed the Senate unanimously, but then it was not passed in the House and the House changed things and they changed it uh, to the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. And because they changed it, it had to go back to the Senate. So it went back to the Senate after passing in the House um, and it actually died in the Senate because of one Senator. And that was Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. And and they wanted it to be, the Senate wanted it to be unanimous because they wanted it to be a unanimous statement like, we as the United States government governing body are saying like, never again, like this is wrong, that we will not do this, we will not classify it as a, uh, as a hate, as like, we will not tolerate this anymore. And it's like gonna, be, and because when you classify something as a hate crime, there are different um, punishments that come, it's like yeah. a higher, it, it, it's more serious. And so that's part of the, the the reason to push it for, to put it but um anyway so he didn't he wouldn't want he didn't want it to he he objected to it and so to this day 2021 lynching is still not concern considered a federal hate crime um and i think that just speaks to how much we still have to go um yeah. And the fact that there are still racially motivated killings in the United States, lynching still happens even if we are not 
hanging people. And so, um, anyway. He said that it would lead to yet another injustice, excessive sentencing for minor infractions. So his concern with the bill was that it we would be too broad sweeping with, um, with it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, bro. <laughs> and so he was concerned about excessive sentence sentencing. Yeah. I have some news for you. Um, blacks already get excessively sentenced compared to now. So, so maybe like this is just like leveling the bar. Yikes. Okay. Let's, um, okay, so the next one is performative activism. And this is a big one that I saw specifically, um, well, anytime there is a high profile uh, racial injustice or racial killing or um, high profile racism, this happens. So. Mm -hmm. Performative activism, activism is a pejorative term referring to activism done to increase one's social capital rather than because of one's devotion to a cause. It is often associated with surface level activism referred to as slacktivism. Yeah. And it gained an increased usage on social media in the wake of George Floyd protests, although the phrase predates uh, the killing of George Floyd. Performative wokeness and performative allyship are related terms. So uh, basically, for example, putting a black square on your Instagram and saying Black Lives Matter and that's it. Mm -hmm. Or going to a protest and doing like protest tourism and um, but like not doing any of the other work. Um, uh, just basically trying to say that you're a good person and like supporting these causes yeah. without actually digging. It's exactly them. what it says. It's a performance. It's not who you really are. It's not mm -hmm. genuine and authentic to your, what you believe. I mean, granted, I do feel like people who post things for the most part are doing it because they do understand that there are issues my issue is, is like, I, it's, it's hard to judge that, you know, because like, I know I, I think a big part of performative activism is again, like just, just doing the surface level stuff. Like, like when you, someone, I, I don't, okay. I'm not making sense. We might need to cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> but like it just is it's the easy way mm -hmm. it's not doing the work it's the easy thing to do it's the convenient thing to do it's the stuff that gives you credit publicly instead of doing the work privately and you don't feel like you have to prove that you're doing work you know it's like I'm doing it because I feel like it's important mm -hmm. not because I'm like oh I found a cute graphic and I'm going to post it on an Instagram story yeah well, it's, it's kind of like, um, so, you know, in the Bible, when Jesus called out the Pharisees for like being super dramatic about their fasting, but then like completely missing the point, 
it, mm-hmm. it that's it's kind of like the same thing like you are uh completely missing the point of this and it's not yeah. because like going to a black lives matter protest is not the cool thing to do like you know yeah. so if you are going to do that kind of stuff then you need to like do it and actually do yeah. it <laughs> and that means when it's hard to like that means confronting your relatives when they are racist or confronting right. friends when they are you know saying inaccurate because, things yeah when it because when it gets hard it means there's going to be a personal cost for you mm-hmm. um and something that's beneficial to think about is like yes there's going to be a personal cost for you but think about how much daily cost that people in the BIPOC community have to go through on a daily basis if if the biggest thing you're asked to do is to call out your racist relatives and maybe like have them not talk to you for a year or two I'm like that you can do that because do you really want to talk to people like that for the next year or two? Like, like really? Well, and it's like, until there are enough white people who are, um, like as horrible as this is what, you know, racism and in the United States, racism and white privilege and white fragility, that is a white person's problem. So mm-hmm. until there are enough white people who are willing to be and get uncomfortable and call out and and stand up nothing's going to change yeah and and so it's like it's not the BIPOC community's job to fix whoa like our stuff you know right like right it's like you can't you they, they already have to deal with a lot they shouldn't have to take this on too like shepherding us through this work like we can be responsible adults and do the work and stand up for them when they, when we are, when we see it happening, because a lot of the times it's, it's not in like these big grand gestures, like this performative act activism. It's in our daily routine of like calling out injustice when we see it. Um, yeah. Which, which I think brings us to the next section, by the way, do you, Let's yeah. skip, let's skip the rise in hate crime and let's just go yeah. to like how to be a good ally. Yeah, we already covered that in multiple yep. definitions. So yeah, it like it brings us to this next part where, okay, now that we like have educated ourselves and by the way, we've just barely covered the very tip of the iceberg. Like yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's so much more, um, there's so much more work that is to be done. And um, we will link some of the sources that we found to be helpful in the description. But um, now, okay, what can we do about it? How can we be a good ally? And actually one of the things that I have learned just in the last week between these two recordings is like, maybe ally isn't even the the best word. It should actually be a comrade or like a companion because it's not, ally implies that I'm just supporting the BIPOC community and I'm just going to be there to help them. But it's like, no, 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 no. Like, like we have to work together, like to make the world a better place. And 
most importantly, like white people have to start owning it. White people have to start doing like making change. And like, it starts with just simply learning and reading and challenging yourself, challenging yourself and get uncomfortable. Like it's going to be uncomfortable and that's okay. That's part of the process, but just start where you are. You don't have to be like there's no level uh, where you have to get yourself before you can start to start exactly where you are. And yeah. there's this resource put out by a Harvard professor who it's uh, the white alley toolkit and it's a workbook. Oh, cool. And I will put a link to that in the description, but uh, it actually walks you through and it's like, it goes through the various stages of like, where are you? you know, in your journey to becoming a good ally and comrade. And so um, just start wherever you are, just start. Yeah, Uh, that's the biggest thing is like, understand that it's just like anything that you don't know, or you're not really sure how it's going to go. You just have to start and, and go from there. Just start. There's no prerequisite learning. There's no nothing. You just I am here and I'm going to read this. And then after that, it'll lead you to other things. So, and, and the first, the first step with like educating yourself is not going to the only person of color that, you know, and asking them your first step is going to your computer and Googling (laughs) because there are hundreds, if not thousands of resources already out there they have already done the emotional labor they have already published it um it is available a lot of it is free most of it is free actually there are podcasts there are books there are uh, workbooks there are um videos there's like any type of media it is out there that's where so you start. all learning styles can have something that's going to fit their, their learning style best. Yeah. And that's where you start. You don't go to your neighbor or you don't go to your friend. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Please don't go to, please don't just let them like, it's not their job to educate you. It's your, your job to educate yourself. You can, you can go to like, feel free to ask us. You can ask us, you can ask other, um, white allies, but like, it is not, the BIPOC community's um, job to educate yeah. a white person. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So I love one of the, like in, in the outline, I love that you said, um, don't, uh, you're not going to be perfect at this and that's okay. Like the big thing is, it's like, it's like learning anything new. You're not going to be a pro at it from the get go. You, you're learning, you're going to make mistakes. So also view this as a, a growth opportunity and not a competition. Mm-hmm. You're not being graded. You're not anything like that. It's just, there's going to be mistakes made along the way and that's okay. And don't center yourself. Like yeah. um, one of the best things that I have um learned about like how to be a good white ally is like imagine that you are going to a party that you were not invited to you are not going to tell the host how to 
run the meeting or run the party. You're not going right. to like make an idiot out of yourself. You're not going to say, Oh, everyone look at me. Or like, you're not going to criticize. Like you're probably going to like show up, like offer to help, like be friendly, meet some friends, but you're not going to center yourself. And if you center yourself, then you're going to look like a jerk, you know? So yeah. like it, the same thing applies. Like when you are, um, especially if you join black lives matter, or if you join any sort of, um, organization that is run by a person of color like you are not in charge yeah (laughs) you and you don't need to correct them you don't need to make it about yourself the other thing too is like they are not uh it, it is not noble for you to be alarmed at the violence that is happening and it is not noble for you to be like oh my gosh I just like can't, I I feel so bad about what's happening. And I like want this to, I want to change because this is so upsetting to me. It's like, this has been going on for centuries. Your wokeness is not welcome. Your wokeness is not uh, like, say that with your other white friends, like talk to them, but like, yeah, (laughs) talk about it with your therapist, something like that, like get it out that way. But like, don't like like yeah no it's not cute don't do that yeah so your your wokeness is not cute your wokeness is not welcome don't brag about how upsetting it is to you like yeah (laughs) like it's like again there's a level of self-awareness that you need to have in this work where you realize like like you said you're a guest not a member And, and realizing that this has, again, this is not a new issue. It may be new for you, but it's not a new issue. And yes, like they're appreciative that more white people are joining and like more white people are waking up, but like, don't celebrate the fact that it took you X number of generations to wake up kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like that. It's like, congratulations. You're a decent human being. Like, yes. Congratulations. How have you lasted this long without being aware of this issue? That's what my mind, that's where my mind goes. And I'm like, you're just now realizing this. And like, to be fair, I, I was in this group, I was in this camp too. Yeah. But it's nothing to celebrate. Yeah. Don't celebrate it. And that goes along with being performative. We talked about, uh, performative activism, And I would say like the next step is probably one of the most important. And we've been saying this throughout the whole thing, but like realizing real and realize that your experience is not everybody else's experience. And that doesn't mean that like, just because it didn't happen to you or you haven't seen it does not mean that it's not happening and you never invalidate someone else's experience. Yeah. I think too, this is especially a hard concept for people to grasp that surround themselves with people who have similar experiences to them because then Mm -hmm. they can have that validated, like, well, they're saying this, but I've never seen that. And I don't participate in that. So does, does it really that important? Does it really exist? And then they get that validated by like, I haven't seen it. I don't experience that. I know this is terrible what's happening, but like, I don't think it's as bad as they're saying it is Mm -hmm. like, mm -mm. that's called an echo chamber. Right. Make sure that your group of friends or the people you associate with have, there's like a, a, again, like diversity. Mm -hmm. If you're only hanging out with people that 
are the same age and economic status and education level and, and, you know, race as you, you might want to think about branching out a little bit or yeah. a lot of bit. Yeah. Um, okay. So this next one is elevate black voices and other people of color. So um, the resources that you go to uh, make sure that they are from the BIPOC community. Like they have a lot of resources. Um, and again, that's like, <laughs> there's already published resources from that community. Yeah. Don't go yeah. ask that community. <laughs> yes. And I, I mean, this is something that I've really loved about like when um, during COVID and you know, the George Floyd murder and Black Lives Matter, all of that. Um, I loved how a lot of platforms that I followed started giving a lot of light to uh, like BIPOC accounts and not mm -hmm. just like racial justice and equity, but like I, I love interior design. And so these amazing designers that I love started elevating and shining light on, you know, the BIPOC community, like interior designers. And I love it because it's, again, like you don't want to live in an echo chamber. You don't want to just follow people that look like you and act like you and are interested in the same things as you. Like you want to have a diverse global perspective on all aspects of your life. Um, so that's something that I've really loved is supporting with my... <laughs> with my likes and follows even um, people that are of color or just all different backgrounds, ages, all of it. And, and the other thing too, is like going to black owned businesses and supporting yes. them like economically um, going to rather than like, okay, instead of going to Panda Express, if you want Chinese, try and find a locally owned um by a by an Asian American family restaurant you know yes. like yes or or Thai or Vietnamese or whatever like um try and support that the other thing that I was going to say is one of the things that I've done is after or like during the um kind of like the George Floyd protests last summer I actually took a look at my music playlist and mm. I saw how white it was <laughs> and I was like <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so this isn't to say that you have to change your taste in music, but like find artists in the genre that you like that also, um, you know, like, for example, I discovered, oh, I don't love all of Beyonce's songs, but there are a lot of them that I actually really do like, or I yeah. really like Camila Cabello, or I really, you know, like finding- Dude, I grew up in 90s <laughs> hip hop. So I'm like, give me Biggie, give me Tupac, <laughs> give me Snoop. I'm like, if you want it, like, yeah, I, I'm like jamming out, like dropping off the kids, listening to like Frozen 2 soundtrack. And then as soon as I pull out of the parking lot, it's like, yep, give me some Tupac. We're going to go California Lab all the way home. <laughs> but like, there are, um, you don't, even if you don't like hip hop or rap, like there are black artists that do more than just hip hop and rap. <laughs> yes. I, I actually know more Cardi B lyrics 
than my teenager does. And I am very proud of that. Like I just love, 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 love all of that. Like the R&B, the hip hop, the rap. Yes. They're even in pop. Like Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. So check out your music. Um, Check out your bookshelves, you know, like what kind of books for me. Yeah. Look, what kind of books are you buying? Um, For me, a big one was like children's books. Um, Look at the movies that your children are watching. Are they only white people being shown? Um, The other thing is like, if your child plays with dolls, like uh, no reason why they, they can't get a plethora of skin tones in that, in that doll, you know, like, uh, anyway, these are all just things to help. Like, and, and again, it's like, it's more important, the more, the the less diverse your community is, the more important this kind of stuff is. Right. Right. That's one thing we do live in a very, uh, we don't have not necessarily a lot of black individuals, black families. We, we do have a lot of Hispanic and Latino. Um, but again, like that's something that I feel like my kids are even better at than I am because it is something that we talk about all the time and their school is talking about a lot, um, which I really appreciate what a good job their, our school district has done in making it more uh, that diversity training starts in kindergarten. Right. I, I love it. Okay. We kind of touched on this. Don't take over black movements. You are not in charge. You don't yeah. know how to run it better. Like they don't need your leadership. They don't even need you in the movement at all. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if you want, if you want to help donate, you know, donate to black, uh, black movement causes, um, black lives matter. I know like um, NAACP, you can donate to legal funds. Um, there's a lot of ways you can help. And really it's just like a presidential or like a campaign. It's like the best way you can help is to donate. Yeah. And make sure that like, um, whatever can't like do, do your own homework on the charity that you choose to donate to, to make sure that yeah. it's, um, the funds are being used, um, res- responsibly, but yes. all right. We've talked about this. You are a guest. You're not a member. Oh, this is a big one. Do not vandalize. Do not commit crimes. Do not be violent. So if you do go to a protest, do not in the name of black lives matter, commit any sort of vandalism or crime or, um, or be, or violent because that undermines the movement and, and it, um, it gives fuel to right-wing extremism and saying, and like it gives fuel to the opposite movement. So yeah, just don't do that. Just keep the law. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Be a nice person. You're not, you're not helping anything either by, by committing that you're not, you're not helping anything. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So I like that, like just listening, like listen to other people's perspective without giving like clarifying statements. Like mm-hmm. at, don't say at least, don't say that. At least it's not. Yeah. No. 
Also, don't say, I think what you're trying to say. <laughs> yes. I'm like, Mm-mm. just listen, listen, and don't try and fix it. Don't try and minimize. Don't try it. Just listen and be like, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. Done. Yep. And don't try to put a lens on it. Don't try and justify anything. Um, and don't try to come up with a response while they're talking. That is not listening. <laughs> yeah. Active listening. Active listening is where your friend. You can, you can say like, like you can ask clarifying statements and like you can, you can have a conversation. It's not just like a one-sided conversation, but like just being empathetic and saying like, I'm sorry, like, like you're, that is horrible, you know, or thank you for sharing this, that it must, this must be hard. Like, those are all things that validate that, um, create a safe environment. They want like it, it, uh, invites vulnerability. It encourages connection, like all of those things, just, just don't be defensive. (laughs) Yes don't negate their experience, just show up for them and listen and say, thank you for sharing your story with me. I know that's a hard thing to do. Or, or, and like, and say like, if, if you don't understand exactly, be like, I could, I can imagine that would be very difficult or like, I'm, I'm really like, yeah, again, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, Google, 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 Google. And, oh, just because you have Black friends does not mean that you aren't part of the problem. (laughs) Yes. Yep. And it goes with any race. Like, just associating or having friends who are not the same race as you does not make you an automatic not racist. It doesn't make you uh, an automatic ally. Like, and this, the next one is probably one of the hardest, which is calling people out when they're racist or when they say racist things. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like this long diatribe or anything like that, because again, it's not really your position to educate anyone on this. That's something that's like personal work and that people need to do individually, but you can maybe be the tipping point or another, you know, like we, we use a lot the analogy with religion of like a shelf breaking. Mm-hmm. It's like when you put so many things on the shelf, it gets heavy. And then when that, that one last thing that goes on the shelf and it breaks, you know, like when you call people out on their racism, I'm sure it's not the first time that that's happened to them mm-hmm. or the first time they felt uncomfortable being like, dude, that really wasn't okay. That was not, that was, that made me uncomfortable. Please don't, please don't ever say that again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like it can be that, that tipping point of like, maybe, maybe I need to work on myself and figure out what that, why like, it may not have been offensive to them, but it is offensive to someone else. And, and and the other thing, the other thing too, is like, even if that one specific person that you call out, um, does not change immediately, that doesn't mean that other people aren't listening and And so if you validate through silence, uh, racist behavior or speech, then you are also turning a blind eye and saying like, saying to someone else who might be on the fence, 
this isn't a problem. Whereas like if, if you speak up and you say, this is a problem because X, Y, Z, you need to stop this. Now, suddenly you are another voice encouraging that fence sitter to stand up, to have that courage, to, you know, you're, you're validating and saying, yeah, this is the right thing to do. And so it's, um, yeah. even if the original it's person the, that said it doesn't change. <laughs> yeah. It's the bystander effect where it's like people see something going wrong and they don't do anything about it. Um, and that's the same thing as like, when you stand up for racism, for, not for racism, stand up against racism, yeah. um, you encourage other people to do the same. And it, then that's, I feel like when that is the biggest impact we can have as uh, white allies or, or advocates, or I'm not sure what term we want to use for that. If we even have one, I know it's like an ally with the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I know that this works because I used to be a bystander. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, never once thought that racism was okay. And this isn't like to pat on my back, but like it, it, I grew up thinking I grew, I was grown up taught that, um, or I was taught growing up that ra- like racism is bad, that slavery was evil. Like I, I was taught that, which is good, but now it's like going the next step. Okay. How can I make sure that I am rooting out all the covert stuff? Um, yeah. And I used to be a bystander, but now I'm like trying to be more active and trying to encourage others to do the same. And the reason why is because I had friends who encouraged me to be more active friends who told me like, no, like you can't just like stand by, you know? So, um, oh, and the, this last one is like probably well, one of the last ones is probably like really important. Don't be offended when you get called out. Like just change, just change. Just say, I'm sorry. Don't give a justification. Say, I'm sorry, period. And then change. Yeah. I like that. I I feel like there's so much power in just saying, I am sorry. Full stop. Don't give a justification. Don't give a reason. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter if you were hungover. It doesn't matter if you're tired. It doesn't matter if you're feeling hormonal or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. I'm sorry. And then (laughs) like, and that's like just in good practice in general, like when you hurt somebody, even if it was unintentional, do not give justifications after the I'm sorry, because that just means here's the reason why you shouldn't be offended. Exactly. Here's the reason why this shouldn't have hurt your feelings. Like that doesn't make, that doesn't help. That doesn't work. Yeah. And then follow it up with action. Yeah. Because follow it up with action. Yeah. Yeah. And action being Google, Google why that may not have (laughs) been a good thing to say. Yeah. And, and the other thing, like if you're participating on any sort of social media or forum, um, don't ask, just ask Google. Like, it's not that hard. Open up another tab, Google your question, and there's going to be a ton of resources. Yes. You do the labor. Don't let someone do the labor for you. Yep. 
Um, all right. And this last one about how to be a good ally is do not participate in trauma porn. So this is a big one on social media and trauma porn is kind of like a weird phrase, but it's when, um, when you share a video or a clip of something that's traumatic that's happening, um, and it's like for the sensationalism or for the, uh, like the internet karma yeah. or the internet like points. Um, and especially like share, it's like sharing and spreading acts of violence or trauma against the BIPOC community. That is extremely upsetting and don't participate in it because, um, there, there is like a certain, I almost want to say like a fetish where it's like people feel good when they share horrible things that are happening. So like, it can be like, and it's called like that type porn. So like poverty porn, sharing images of like people who are extremely impoverished or, or trauma porn, sharing stories of or videos of like super traumatic things that are happening or um, uh, sharing uh, um, wanting like wanting all the gritty details and all this stuff like you don't need that yeah. like it's very traumatic and perpetuating that just furthers the trauma so the next time you see an act of violence don't share it like yeah. it's already all over the internet um don't it's kind of become yeah. like normalized through like I mean I know it started with like the the show cops mm-hmm. where they kind of normalized you know like watching videos of like police or like acts of violence or and it always had like a warning before it but I don't think they realized the ramifications of like the normalcy of someone videoing a violent act or something like that and not doing anything about it. Right. Like put down your phone and go try and stop it. Now that being or call said, call the police. Okay. That being said, if you do see the police committing an act of violence or, um, or, or if you feel like someone is being arrested unjustly, um, the correct thing to do is pull out your phone and record and then submit it to the civil rights, um, civil rights people, the federal. Yeah. I think there's something like that, but, um, but you do not interfere with a cop. Do not talk to the cop. Do not, um, engage in any way because then you can become, you can get arrested. Um, but if you just pull out your phone and start video recording, they can't. And as long as you do not interfere at all, they, um, they can't get upset with you or, I mean, they can get upset with you, but they can't do anything about it. So, um, a lot of people accused the woman who filmed the George Floyd, um, killing for not interviewing, not intervening. Um, had she intervened, she could have been held legally liable and gotten herself in legal trouble. So, um, when you do witness acts of violence or, um, pretty much any, any interaction yeah. with the police, film it. Um, and then, and, and make sure you know your rights as well. Like 
everybody should uh, brush up on what their rights are actually when they go to police and when they interact with the police. Um, and especially if you are going to be doing the work of racial justice, um, you need to understand legally what you can do and legally what you cannot do, um, how to interact with the police and how they will interact with you. Um, and there's yeah. a lot of good resources that are out there. Again, Google them, but yeah. Uh, the one time I will say you should not get involved or say and do anything is when there's police involved. Yeah, absolutely. But any, um, any other time, any other time you should definitely, definitely get involved. Oh, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes if, um, if the person of color is, is the going to be the victim, like if something is happening, sometimes calling the police will make it worse. So if you notice mm -hmm. something, someone in the streets is having a mental health crisis or um, is homeless or on drugs, call a social worker instead of the cops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if like, if that information is like readily available as far as like phone numbers and stuff. I don't know. But That's there are some homework. There, Everyone do your yeah. homework and try there's and find a, other resources. Yeah, there's more. Um, there are more people, public officials and resources than the police. And mm -hmm. and if we learned one thing from last summer, it's that the police and racial justice movements will clash they always have and they always mm -hmm. will until we change our police system because the police is the police system by its nature by its history is a racist organization and structure so yeah well and yeah we can we can talk another episode on on that that's a whole nother whew. yeah it's a whole nother topic um okay so next um we've got like what like this is what we can do still is also like make sure you're educated on policies and the politicians that you're voting for mm -hmm. you know equal representation um or if you know they're a white person make sure that they're in line with uh fighting systemic racism and honoring uh the struggles of the BIPOC community and committed to in their policies and their uh, agenda that they are committed to ending it. Um, you know, it's the more people we get in our government, our governing bodies in, at a state, local and national level, um, that's a big thing that we can all do. And that's fairly easy to do. Mm -hmm. It's just, again, Googling your candidates. Yeah. I mean, if you have time to scroll on Instagram and uh, figure out all the nitty gritty details of Kylie Jenner's life, then you have enough time to Google your candidates and yeah. figure out. <laughs> yeah. And even like down to like um, legislation, like I know one thing I like to do is like anytime they're raising taxes or like, like marijuana, just legalize recreational marijuana. I wanted to know where those taxes were going. 
And the big reason that not, I don't, I don't care if people smoke or like do edibles or I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. But I loved that the predominant amount of taxes were going to infrastructure Mm -hmm. and our schools. So I'm like, cool. Yeah, I can get behind that. So like, if there's a bill on your ballot that like the bulk of it is going to the police force, maybe reconsider that bill because until there's reform there and more education and more like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I don't feel like it's a big deal to have, you know, uh, the police academy add to college level social foundation courses as far as like um, a sociology course. And maybe, I don't know, an American history course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, and just like, yeah. Yeah. Like it just, just so there's a, a frame of reference to struggles that are, so it's not just their growing up experience that's informing mm-hmm. their decisions. It's a worldview, a more uh, comprehensive educational view. Anyway, yeah. that's, I, again, I'm digressing. So and- I will stop. And in that same vein, once those politicians are elected, hold them accountable. So if they mess up and if they are not fulfilling their promises or if they do something bad, um, depending on the severity, they either need to resign, like so Mm -hmm. encouraging them to resign and calling for their resignation calling for change or like voting them out. So it's, um, it's holding them accountable. And especially as the electorate, you need to do that um, and encourage your other, your friends to do the same. And then in that same vein of like research, make sure and be aware, beware of any politician or any policy that is attempting to restrict access to anything. And so make sure that the BIPOC community is not disproportionately affected. One of the biggest ways that you'll see this is through voter suppression and in through voting laws. So make sure that like basically if any sort of bill or law calls for restricting access or changing access, um, like investigate to see which communities are going to be mostly affected by this. Um, because a lot of times, uh, in like, for example, you see in voting, voter suppression in an attempt to, and they'll like clothe it in good words, like mm-hmm. into ma- in an attempt to make it more secure or, um, uh, or, a, a better representation or whatever, like they're actually ending up restricting access. And so just ask yourself how is this law going to affect all of the different neighborhoods? How, like, is it going to affect one neighborhood more than others? You know, as simple as like ballot drop boxes, like, oh, so they're only putting one per county. How does that affect, you know, like, right. So, right. So it's just like, it's just doing a little bit of research, um, especially as a white person, especially if you are upper middle class, you are less likely to be um, restricted because you are the favored class. You are the favored race. So just make sure that that people 
in a lower economic status and also people of different races are not disproportionately affected by the bill or policy. Uh, and that's like that's like also something as simple as like oh we're closing this government facility at 5 p.m like as a suburban housewife which i am i'm actually more than a housewife but yeah as that hat that i one of the many hats that i wear (laughs) um (laughs) something closing at 5 p.m maybe inconveniences me a little bit, but it's like, I can just go at a different time during the day. Right. Someone who's working full time, that impacts a lot because uh, yeah. they get off. They either have to, or they have to take time off Yep. or they, you know, leave early and don't get paid for that hour. Although I'm really proud yeah. of a lot of organizations that they are giving their employees like half the day on election day to make sure that they go vote and they show, they're still paying that. Yeah, that's been a trend that we've been seeing a lot lately. So I'm like very proud of that. Um, yeah, that's 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 HR, babe. That's HR. So just basically, <laughs> the bottom line is like, if you are not personally affected by this bill or this policy or this politician, is it personally affecting other people? And what is that personal or what is that effect? What, how can that look? Yeah. What does that effect look like? Cause there's chances are there's going to be multiple, uh, multiple ways that Mm -hmm. that, that bill is going to affect other people. Um, and some ways that you may not even realize, which is again, just part of doing that homework, being aware of the community that you live in, um, and some of the struggles that, minorities or um marginalized communities have at the and you know community service is a great way to get out and know your community so you can really see how bills that are not overtly protecting the favored class but maybe covertly are keeping the status quo right Uh, so and and this also um plays into like homeowners associations and also neighborhood bylaws um that also takes like that takes that's a consideration as well so it's it's uh everything from federal to the very most local issues yeah all right that was a lot (laughs) any closing thoughts um closing thought I just I really hope that like if you take anything from this like two-part series podcast is that under like increasing your understanding increasing your sensitivity and educating yourself is the the best thing you can do to help end the systemic racism you know it's not your party it's not your show but if it's something that is important to you, you, you show up in the way that helps rather than hinders. And that's just by listening, understanding, and taking in other people's perspective as just as valid as your own. And all the, all the books, read a book, pick one. There's a lot. <laughs> and I think also like it, even just within these, this two-part series, I'm, I know we missed things. And I know we got some things wrong. Oh, I'm sure. That is part of the process. 
we're going to go home. We're going to like, we're going to do more research. We're, we're continually going to learn and grow and change. And, you know, like this is a, again, like what I said in the last one, this is a marathon effort. It's not a sprint. Um, but start where you are. There's no excuse to not start. Yeah. And I, I just encourage everyone to try to start to just get out there and open up a Google tab and type in a question you have and then go from there. Yep. That's, and, and then check that source, make sure that it's a good source. So yeah, <laughs> that too. <laughs> I mean, that seems like obvious, but like, yeah, that's very true. Like make sure it's like a reputable source. That was okay. I can, that's like a whole nother story for another time, but we can talk about resources. Like if you want to do a thought experiment, this is really, really fascinating type into YouTube, um, like racism or systemic racism and watch something put out by a right-wing source and then watch something put out by a left-wing source and then watch something put out by a center. And you can find those sources just by Googling right-wing sources, left-wing sources, center sources like from the media um they've ranked the media like they've already done that work for you they've ranked the media for their biases so look at all the different sources and then just google different youtube videos on systemic racism and compare the three and that is illuminating (laughs) yes yes it is oh my and then and then look you just became more educated and so now you know like how now you know what's being said out there and and so that's a great that's a great activity that's something I like to do even though I'm not a right winger like I like to regular like I watch Prager U because I'm like this is hilarious to me (laughs) I don't even know what that is what's Prager U it's a right wing think tank Prager U they have yeah they have some very interesting videos huh. all right that. well I'm gonna well I'm gonna google well actually I'm gonna do my homework and then I'm gonna google but <laughs> but yeah, yeah like that's a simple exercise and and it's very um illuminating and then and then again just go to your library check out books read if you can't read the books check out audible like podcasts <sighs> just just um start start today yeah and let us know how it's going and we can have those discussions on like in the comments or in like an like a post if we do that do we do social media posting Mm -hmm. great we'll do that that'll be fun let us know how it's going yep all right well thanks for chatting with us and uh well i guess not chatting listening (laughs) yes for being with us today gold star for you and um Go, go and be a better person. Yeah. Just start where you're at and go forth and conquer. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) We're done. Good.